I'm Jacob Weiss. I'm Logan Elrod. And we minored in film. Logan, why don't you tell us what's new in film news this week? All right. Well, I sure will, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon's The Lord of the Rings to cost $465 million for just one season. So it will be the most expensive uh, series in history. Uh, that's that, crazy. That's crazy. I mean, not surprising, but still, like, that's a huge number. Oh, yeah. So, like, to compare it for you guys, Game of Thrones cost about $100 million. Uh, per season, so four hundred and sixty-five million for one season. <laughs> this better be a damn good show. Yeah, so it it was reported to be like a billion-dollar production. Um, by the like end of it. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> well, yeah, if this is just season one. Yeah, so if people want more seasons, you're already going to be like close to a billion. That's crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely uh, stunning. And so the Lord of the Rings show is supposed to be a thousand years before The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like a whole different thing that we've seen before, uh, cool. at least on screen. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm excited, dude. I've been really waiting for like another like deep, fantasy series to kind of dive into yeah so I'm yeah excited. I'm, I'm excited too uh i think it's absolutely crazy though like this is a lot of money for a series and it is amazon mm-hmm. so they can afford it mm-hmm. um but still man yeah that's a lot <laughs> all right and then indiana jones 5 is uh going to be happening harrison ford will reprise his iconic title we haven't talked about that yet which mm-hmm. that in itself is kind of weird because Harrison Ford, he's a little older. Yeah. It's hard for him to move on screen. Yeah. We've kind of seen it before, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, like Blade Runner was like uh, 2049 was like how many years ago? Four? Uh, yeah, something probably something like that. So he was moving a little slow in that movie too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, also Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who uh, is the creator. I think she created Fleabag. I know she's a writer mm-hmm. for it. She will be joining the Disney franchise, uh, and also they just released, what is his name? Mads Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen will be in it. Probably the villain, if I would have to guess. Probably. He, which is good. Yeah. He, he's really good at that. Oh, he plays a great villain. And then uh, Logan filmmaker James uh, Mangold will take over mm-hmm. with um, Steven Spielberg watching Producing. over. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Who knows I'm if sure they really are. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that, is, I mean, Spielberg has done the other four, mm-hmm. so I just think it would have been nice to have him like, what is be he the doing only right one now? to be doing it. Right now, he's finishing up, um, uh, oh God, what is it? Um, It's like a classic, oh man, okay, I have to look it up. It's like a classic movie he's doing a remake of. I'm oh, he's sure remaking a, a classic, oh, a classic musical? Um, Was it West Side Story? Yes, yes, it yeah. is. West Side Story, uh, supposed to come out in December, I think. Um, yeah, and it completed production in late 2019, so I think it's been kind of done for a while. And then after that, he's working on another biopic. I've seen West Side Story. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I was maybe too young to understand it. I don't. I didn't really like it, so I'm not too excited for the remake. Well, do you want me to make you even less excited? Sure. You know who the main character is going to be played by? Who? Timothy? No. Tom Holland. Ansel Elgort. No fucking way. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm definitely not watching it now. Like, who cares? Oh my goodness. Yep. Do other people think he's a bad actor too? Uh, I think so. Because he was a heartthrob when I was growing up because of, like, Fallen Our Stars, that John Green's 
era or whatever the hell it was uh-huh. happening in 2014. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I think one of our listeners once messaged me, and they're like, "I love the Ansel Elgort." Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, okay, well, yeah, that was basically all the film news. So let's get into yeah. the meat potatoes. The meat and potatoes. <laughs> all right. So today, episode 23, we are going to be talking about the 2005 film *Brokeback Mountain*. So this show is a two-day or mm, description excuse me uh, <laughs> two modern day cowboys meet on a shepherding job in the summer of 1963 the two share a raw and powerful summer together that turns into a lifelong relationship conflicting with the lives they are supposed to live that is a letterboxed review or uh, description oh really yeah man all the other descriptions i found were so like long-winded and not even really two guys like, mountains accurate. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, i could see that um yeah and so this movie was directed by ang lee based on the short story by annie prue uh who wrote that in 1997 the screenplay is by larry mcmurtry and diana osana cinematographer rodrigo prieto Music by Gustavo Santolaya, um, edited by Geraldine Peroni and Dylan Tichenor, and starring Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal, Randy Quaid, Michelle Williams, Anne Hathaway, Linda Cardellini, Anna Ferris, David Harbour, and Kate Mara. The budget was $14 million, so pretty small, and it made a um, 178.1 million in the box office. Holy shit! Yeah, that's it a was, big take. It was successful. Well, yeah, that's. It was a lot more successful than they were anticipating. Um, and it uh, had a very good Oscars year. It was nominated for eight Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Cinematography, and it won uh, one three for Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Original Score. Yeah, I always hear that they like got snubbed, but I don't know who won that movie. Yeah, that year. it was they did get snubbed. It was Crash, which is like oh, probably know. like the worst Best Picture winner yeah, of all time. Yeah, it I, was bad. That I movie's it horrible. For, yeah, I watched it for the first time a couple months ago, and I was like, really this, <laughs> this one. <laughs> um, and this it is this movie is currently available to watch on Netflix. Um, a lot of the research I'd done, um, just kind of cite my sources here, was through um, a series of essays from the author and screenwriters called Getting Movied by Annie Prue, Adapting Brokeback Mountain by Larry McMurtry, and Climbing Brokeback Mountain by Diana Osana, as well as the original short story by Annie Prue. So this is a spoiler alert for those of you who have not seen this movie yet or don't really know what happens. You're going to find out what happens, and there's a lot of spoilers. So Mm -hmm. you have been warned. So, Logan, I would like to get your initial thoughts and reactions. I get the feeling you're not as crazy about this movie as I am, so I would like to hear what you have to think. I I do like this movie. It's definitely not a bad movie at all. Um, I did skim through... I wouldn't say I, I fully in, in, in take the uh, uh-huh. short story, but I did read some of it. Mm-hmm. I would say, like, one of the big gripes about Brokeback Mountain is I feel like the lead-up to when they get together in the tent is, like, feels fast. Mm-hmm. There's really no emotional attachment between them except, like, wrestling. Uh-huh. I, I, like, there's no, like, conversations. I guess there is a little backstory conversation that they have at the campfire. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of felt that. And then throughout the movie, I sometimes I felt like even like when they were talking about their, their I don't know, s- saddest feelings to each other, mm-hmm. 
it didn't really feel like a long conversation uh, to me. Yeah. But the short story had like a lot more of that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Ennis is not much of a conversationalist for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I understand what you're talking about with kind of the lead up to. It does mm-hmm. maybe feel a little rushed. You can kind of read it as just this thing that kind of just like takes over them. But yeah, I agree. You know, yeah. it would have been nice to see a little bit more lead up i can see where you're coming it's from just it feels like a more like physical attraction between emotional at some points of the movie mm-hmm. until like the end maybe yeah yeah okay okay so uh for me i first um watched this movie a couple summers ago it uh it was one of those movies where obviously you know it was always like you know a joke in middle school with like <laughs> broke back mountain you know just being stupid and immature about mm-hmm. it so i really had no idea that it was actually like a good quality movie because I never really bothered to look into it until one day I was like looking through like a hundred movie bucket list and saw it was on there and I was like oh okay it's actually like a good movie I'll check it out and Mm -hmm. I watched it and I I loved it I thought it was so good it's beautiful I think it's super it's super emotional it gets me every time I watch it and it kind of instantly became one of my favorites I think I was just also in like an emotional place when I watched it because <laughs> it was like a week after my girlfriend like left to go to the other side of the country for like a few months oh, okay. on internship and so I was like yeah you know <laughs> see I didn't it I didn't really get an emotional time. spark I don't know why mm-hmm. like maybe like when he gets the uh was it a blue jean jacket yeah the, sh- the shirts yeah the mm. shirts that was probably like the only part i was kind of like that's sad yeah yeah i don't know yeah. why i mean no that's the part that but mostly honestly gets me like that, that, that very end. most love stories like just don't do it for me mm-hmm. like it's just not emotional well the thing is what i think with this one is well yes it's like a love story but more than that which this is kind of what the author has said and this is how i take it as well you know, it's not like a gay cowboy story. It's really like a story about destructive rural homophobia. Yeah. So I think I can see that. Yeah. Uh, especially where they're from. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. The director of this movie, Ang Lee, we can talk about him for a minute. He's a Taiwanese film director, producer, and screenwriter. Um, he's known for having a w- wide range of films in his repertoire. Really? Including, oh, yeah. Uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, oh, wow. Brokeback Mountain, uh, Hulk. Life of Pi, Sense and Sensibility, Gemini Man recently. Yeah. So he's done a wide range of things. And he has another film coming out, but he's being pretty secretive about it, saying nothing more than it will have action in it. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Yeah. And recently he's kind of been trying to, like, advance filmmaking with, like, you know, 3D and digital effects and Life of Pi. And he started filming at 120 FPS for Gemini Man in his last movie, which... You know, not really necessary. It's not, so. especially like Gemini Man was not good. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but I heard it wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. Life of Pi though, it's it's okay. It is. Yeah. I, I remember enjoying Life of Pi. I remember so. watching it on Blu-ray for the first time, and I was like, "Wow, this is fucking amazing." Mm-hmm. But <laughs> so even if his stuff isn't, you know, like actually necessary, like 120 FPS. I mean, you know, at least he's he's trying to he's do trying, something different. Yeah. You know, so I I do respect that. <clears throat> at that point, does it even make a difference to our eyes? It, this is a weird yeah, question. No, no, I, I, I always wonder that too because I think I remember reading somewhere like your eyes only see it. Yeah, like, it's only see a certain. Yeah, amount. but uh, it does because I noticed it when I was when I was like watching. I watched like a clip from it mm-hmm. on like Hulu or something just to kind of see what it, it looks was crazy. Like. And you definitely notice how much smoother it is. I don't know. But if, wouldn't you need a, like a TV for that though? 
Just think that too. I don't know if it actually goes all the way up to 120 on your TV, but it definitely goes higher than 30. I mean, you figure most games now are running at like 60 or some run at 120. Oh, they're running think, way right? more than yeah. that 120. Yeah, yeah. So I, your movie can run the same, I guess. <laughs> I haven't done a ton of. I know, but I just. It, but oh yeah, this is way off topic, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. No, because I remember watching like the trailers and stuff and thinking like it looks a little weird, like it doesn't look normal. Okay. So Annie Prue, who is uh, who wrote the short story, we're going to kind of be talking a lot about the story and the adaptation process in, in this episode. So Annie Prue is an American novelist, short story writer, and journalist. She started as a journalist before getting into writing short stories. Her first one was published in 1963, and Brokeback Mountain was published in 1997 in The New Yorker, and she won the O. Henry Prize for Best Short oh, wow. Story of the Year for nice. it. Um, her interest has um, has always been focused kind of on social and economic change in rural communities. The origin of the story, kind of how it, it came to be and how she got the idea for it is she was in a bar. Uh, she kind of lived in like that, um, you know, the Midwest. Yeah. And so she was in this bar and she noticed an older ranch hand watching not like the number of pretty girls that were in the bar, but he was, he was kind of eyeing the group of men playing pool. And she kind of felt like he had a sense of like longing on his face almost. And so she wondered, you know, like, is he gay? And if so, like, what must his story be like living in an area like this? And that's where it, where it came from. She spent the next months working on the story. And like I said, she describes it not as the gay cowboy story, but a story about destructive rural homophobia. This story was very successful. Um, a lot of people really liked it, including Diana Osana, who read the short story in The New Yorker, and she she was moved to tears. She shared it with her writing par- partner, Larry McMurtry. And uh, Larry, you know, he's an author. He, he told her, like, oh, I don't read short fiction anymore because <laughs> he's just too good for it, I guess. But uh, she insisted that he read it. <laughs> he obliged, um, and he told her it might be the best short story that he's read. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so he was very impressed with it. Um, you know, of course, that's so important because Larry McMurtry yeah. <laughs> knows everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't even know who it is. I want to say something, though. So the short story, like most of the best writers that we have right now are short story writers like George Saunders and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like that guy's a weirdo. Yeah. So Diana asked Larry if, you know, he thought that they could write a screenplay adaptation for it. And he agreed. He's like, yeah, you know, I think we could do it. And so... They immediately sent a letter to Annie Prue to buy the rights um, with, with their own money, actually, which is kind of uncommon for screenwriters to do. Mm-hmm, that is, they'd be backed by it like a studio yep. or something to do that. Annie was skeptical about it at first, but she trusted in the writing duo to do her story justice. Uh, she thought it was too sexually explicit. Actors wouldn't want to play these gay characters. And, you know, homophobia was too much of a hot button topic for it to actually be made. Yeah. This is 2005, too. Mm-hmm. So the process um, of adapting from a short story as opposed to a novel, uh, this is what I think is really cool. It allows for a lot more like freedom and creativity because when you're adapting a novel, you have this big, huge, you know, story like 200 to 1,000 pages mm-hmm. that you're trying to condense down to like a two hour movie. Um, so there's so much cutting and changing to try and make it work. But with a short story, it allows for so much more like freedom and creativity to it because you have these 10 to 30 pages that you then get to expand, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. And so what they did with this, um, you said you kind of read the short story. That one, 
it's still like in like an epic. It takes place over the course of these these twenty years, yep. but it really skips over a lot of the domesticity of the story. And you know, there is you know these these sentences that she'd throw in there, kind of talking about their their lives back at home and stuff. And that's kind of what they mostly expanded on was their relationships with their wives and their children and their town and stuff like that. Yeah, because like. One wife is not really talked about in the short story, right? Yeah, not really at all. That's a uh, Lorene. Yeah, Lorene wasn't mm-hmm. even like we don't even know how they met. I don't think. Yeah, it is. It just kind of mentions her. So yeah. I really like that they were able to do that because I think it adds a whole other layer to the story. There's some big actors in this movie. Oh yeah, like it's kind of I, f- I forgot like how you know of course the the main duo, but then you kept like seeing big actors and I was like, what the hell? I totally <laughs> forgot. Uh huh. And well, yeah, I mean, I think that this really kind of, I mean, these were all actors that had done movies before. They were like fairly successful, but I think, I mean, at the time they weren't as big as they are now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've, you've got to think that this is, this movie is definitely part of what really launched them in the mainstream, mm-hmm. like Michelle Williams, um, you know, Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal and Hathaway. So yeah, it's 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 a, it's a great cast, and I think they all are even Anna Faris kind of boomed in the late two thousands. Oh yeah, so. yeah, more comedy, but yeah, mm-hmm. almost every sentence from the short story is in the screenplay, which is very impressive. Like they okay. they really stuck true to it, which I respect you could a do because I mean it's thirty pages. Yeah, and, so yeah, and so but I mean. I just I really have to appreciate that they really didn't change like anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just took what was there in the story and they just simply expanded upon it. Like I said, like every sentence was in there, but even that was only ended up being like sixty pages. So yeah. they had to have a whole other sixty pages that they just totally made up. It helps to have a short story that you know the story already resonates with some people because it mm. is you know it already won awards and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's nice to kind of be in contact with the author throughout yeah. the process as well. And it, it really didn't even take them that long. They had um, they were done in three months adapting the screenplay to mm. it. And uh, like I said, they won the Oscar for it. So. Yeah. Um, and uh, But the script itself, after they finished, it was stuck in limbo for years. And it was known as the best, the best script in Hollywood that no one will make. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, because <laughs> it was just floating around and everyone was like, the script is incredible, but like no one... You know, had the balls yeah. to make it. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of bitches. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a few people came along throughout, the, you know, those years and they tried to kind of get the movie underway, but it never really clicked. There wasn't really anyone that really, like, got it and was ready to really take it on. Um, but years later, Diana Osana got a call from Michael Costigan, who wanted to produce the film. And they teamed up with Focus Features, and finally in 2004... Um, the film started production and so you think what the story was in 97 so the screenplay was either done in 97 or 98 so yep. it's like six or seven years that's that's a long time yeah. <laughs> and they kind of forgot about it and well not really forgot about it it was always in the back of their minds like is this ever going to get made because mm-hmm. it's something that they were super proud of yeah and so finally it started and uh Ang Lee, this is kind of where he comes in. He was in a place where he was like physically and mentally exhausted from like years of making these big movies like mm-hmm. Hulk and you know all these other ones. And uh, so he was really considering retiring. Then he found out that Brokeback Mountain, the script still hadn't been produced yet. He kind of asked about it and um, he just felt it was the right thing for him. And he immediately wanted to direct it when he found out that it was now available and it really helped him kind of fall in love with filmmaking again. Oh, that's which nice. I really like hearing those stories yeah, about this. I feel like this happens all the time. They have these directors that do Get all stressed. these big 
big, huge movies. They get burnt out, and then it kind of takes them doing their own small, low-key thing to really kind of get back into it again. I feel like it happens to so many directors. Mm -hmm. They do these big movies, they get success, and then they're picture after picture, and then they go back to indie. Yeah. And go back, and then they flip-flop. And then you have the Russo brothers who go yeah. from all these big Avengers movies and to Cherry, which was bad. Uh, <laughs> was it really? Yeah, I thought it was pretty bad. Okay, but, which um, one is that? Tom Holland, Robin yeah. a Bank? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, but then, I mean, you have stuff like Ryan Johnson who did The Last Jedi, that huge movie, and then he goes on and do, does Knives Out. Which yeah, is, which is I still mean, a big movie, though. It's another though. big movie, yeah. but I think, you know, it definitely felt like he was more passionate. I mean, he's passionate about Star Wars, but that one kind of felt more personal, I guess. Mm-hmm. So Annie Prue was initially a bit iffy about Ang Lee because because of his movies like The Hulk and stuff like that. She was yeah. like, "Is this guy really going to end up like understanding the story and doing it justice?" But um, really, he kind of understood it better than anyone else that had really tried to make it. He kind of because one of the big things is that he really got the location as well, which is such a huge part of the story because a story like that. I mean, it could happen in other places, but really, like, Wyoming, Texas, like, that's the kind of the area where this story, like, had to take place. Prue, when she was writing, she thought that the 60s seemed an appropriate time for the characters to live in and have this story begin. Because um, Ennis and Jack, you know, at in that period, they would have kind of had to grow up in isolated ranches and were even a bit homophobic themselves, which mm-hmm. you can kind of see because, like, Ennis... After him and Jack um, yeah. have sex for the first time, he's like, I'm not queer. And Jack is like, yeah, I'm not either. But, um, you know, clearly they are. <laughs> but, you know, they're kind of just afraid to admit it because of how they've been taught, you know, growing up in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and me and Logan, you know, two straight I know guys don't know. <laughs> it's It's hard to talk about, like, I mean, we can't talk about how they feel or mm-hmm. how people that watch this movie feel that really are you know in their whole personal lives it really affects them because uh well i mean we just can't yeah but we can kind of look at what the the creators of this story were trying to say and what they've said they were trying to say so that's what we'll we'll try and focus on ourselves so one of the things that i really like about this this story is how Annie Prue kind of handled the characters when she was creating them. Um, she what she did is she she really strove to give Jack and Ennis depth and complexity. And in order to do that, she kind of took this this love that they have for each other and kind of put it against like the societal norms that both of them kind of obeyed. Because despite their you know their feelings for each other, they both ended up marrying women and having children and families and like they loved their children. And I mean, I think in a way that they both loved their wives as well. It was just really interesting to kind of see that huge web of yeah. <laughs> characters that just gets tangled in this whole situation. Um, and we'll kind of dive into, I guess, each of these four characters individually mm-hmm. to kind of look into how they all mix together. Okay. So Ennis Del Mar, you know, he's... He's stoic, traditional. He's very quiet and reserved. Um, he's he's always the one that was a bit more pessimistic about the relationship um, with, with mm-hmm. him and Jack. He was always worried about getting hurt. You can tell he has a lot of pent-up anger inside of him because mm-hmm. I feel like his go-to is just kind of like snap and get yeah. physical sometimes, which you see at multiple points throughout the movie. He just has a lot of confusion, sadness, and anger. But I think you can also really see that he, he really does love Jack and... I feel like he's always at his like happiest and he's his most open 
when he's with Jack when they're kind of on the mountain together and yeah, stuff. Yeah, he even the says years. it like uh this is like the most I've talked in a whole year yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And they they just feel at peace when they're together in the mountain, which is those are always my favorite scenes is the two of them together. Yeah, they're always having a blast up in where did they shoot this movie by the way? Uh they shot it in Alberta, Canada. Okay. Yes. So, so kind of looks like I guess Wyoming. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cuz it was beautiful, man. Oh, it um, was. So, yeah, they were just having such a nice time together, and they felt so much more happier than when they were, you know, back home mm-hmm. selling tractors or yeah. doing Which asphalt. Which is so sad to watch, um, especially when you see how it affects all the people around them as well. Jack Twist, he's more he's the more open and outgoing out of the two. He has a lot of optimism and kind of dreams about the future. Like, you know, even his parents in the movie were talking about how he was always like, yeah, I'm going to bring Ennis Delmar here. And we're yeah, gonna... he's that guy with plans. Yeah. He just always has a plan. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that's always pushing for them to be together despite the risks. Like, I feel so bad when he shows up to, to Ennis's house oh, after he kids tells him about the divorce. And he's like, oh, like, I thought that that meant, like, yeah. we were going to do this now. and. You feel so bad for him. And then he has to drive all the way back to Texas. Yeah. I mean, it's like a 13-hour drive, right? <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> I'm say Ennis better be paying him gas money. <laughs> Sound like two dads. He yeah. better get his gas money. One of the wives caught up in this is Alma Delmar. She marries Ennis, I feel, of course. I feel bad for her yeah. the most. Me too. I feel like because uh, she's really struggling to like keep her kid to float. Like. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that makes me never want to have kids <laughs> because those kids are so annoying when they're yeah. screaming and everybody's like crying and spilling whatever broke on the floor. What, uh-huh. was, it? what was in those? Cans? I don't. I don't even know what was in those. I don't jars. even there. Uh, oh, that was funny. Like Ennis Del Mar didn't know what condiments was. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. yeah, I thought that was funny too. <laughs> he was like ketchup. Uh-huh. Like okay, but yeah, I feel really bad for it because she saw them uh, kiss. Mm-hmm. And then she had to keep going through uh, the relationship knowing that these quote-unquote fishing trips weren't that. Yeah. And she had to keep the family together just for the kids, and it, it feels really bad. I know, because she's really just like a victim of the situation. She, like She didn't yeah. really do anything wrong, but she's still kind of suffering as a result. But of she does kind of suffering. like... I mean, her and Ennis's fallout's really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it was Thanksgiving that happened. Yeah. But she still kind of gets with someone who cares about her. She does. Um, this she does. guy that owns a store or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, good for her because yeah. she does care. I mean, he was <laughs> he was willing to come up and help her and be all kind and clean up this mess yeah. when her kids are running around after Ennis just, like, drops and them Ennis off. And Ennis does care about her, but mm, he's, he does. he's just, I guess he wasn't really passionate about their love affair anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I... <laughs> I love the Thanksgiving scenes in this movie where yeah. it goes from like Jack cutting the turkey with like the the big knife and stuff to the to Alma's new husband with his little like, like electric yeah, carver. carver. Those things are horrible, by the way. Uh huh. It was hilarious. I love it. <laughs> I yeah. also love it when Jack stands up to his. Oh yeah! If someone told me something like that, I would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And the last of these four main characters is Loreen Newsom. She's kind of the the wild southern girl, probably the she's probably the character at least that I kind of cared the least about. Oh yeah, um, I mean she's not shown that much anyway. It's just yeah. kind of shown that this is cuz well she's not mentioned in the short story, right? Well, she's mentioned, mentioned but, but not really talked about. Yeah, like so the same way. Um 
So I guess we get a little more in the movie. But mm-hmm. yeah, she's just uh, who Jack marries and has that basic, you know, southern life of working mm-hmm. hard and having a kid. And, yeah. You know. It was also kind of sad watching her, too, because I felt like she went from this, like, well, wild, fun mm-hmm. person. And to then, working. Yeah, by the end, she just seemed so, like, like empty. So she knows, too, right? That's that's the vibe that I got from when that she was, phone call. Yeah, from that phone call, she's like ice cold. Okay, that's in that what phone I thought. Call at the end after you know, because it's this is when because um, Ennis gets a letter back saying that Jack is deceased, deceased. and yeah. so he calls Lorene to figure. Because Jack happened. has another love affair, right? Yes, which we find out about, and mm-hmm. then so I guess she knows about that too, and then kind of puts together that. Yeah. Because the way she's talking about his de- his death sounds so cold and mm-hmm. rehearsed that you really, you know, because there's that question of like, did he actually just die in an accident or was he killed for, for being gay? And I know that that's what Ennis thinks happened. And I think that the phone call with Lorene confirms okay. that just the way she was talking about it. That That's what I understand. In the short story, mm-hmm. what, I don't remember, did, they imply the same thing. Was that phone call verbatim or um, I can't remember. I think it was kind of implied. I believe it was verbatim. I think they took basically all the dialogue. So it's implied that he got murdered. Yeah, I'm looking through it right now. Yeah, it's pretty much verbatim. That was also just so sad. Mm-hmm. This whole movie is so sad. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's a very like... We get in the love affair pretty quick, and then they're all happy. You have incredible shots of all the the water, and I kept seeing rivers, and I was like, I want to go fishing in that river. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, there was r- really cool shots, and then they, you know, go to the family life, and that's it's just, it's a very slow pace, slow mm-hmm. burn of just sadness. Yeah, it is them and, not being together, mm-hmm. and a lot of these big, you know, like dramatic points at the end. I I really like, like I love when. Jack and Ennis just have that full-blown argument kind of the last time they see each other before Jack um, dies. And I love that scene. I love the What's that famous quote in the where he's like, I I wish I knew how to quit quit, you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. quit you. Yeah, that's the famous. Because I've seen this movie before, but I I was like, I don't remember how it ends. I know they don't get together, Mm -hmm. but I totally forgot that's one dies. Yeah. <laughs> I and totally so, forgot about that. It's so sudden too. Yeah. It's like deceased. Yeah. Out of nowhere. It's just like, I remember watching it the first time and I was like, oh, I was like, no, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that can't be true. The acting in this movie, by the way, is really good. The only thing is Jake Gyllenhaal's Southern accent. I don't know, man. I kind yeah. of, cause you know, we're, we're both from the South. So we know mm-hmm. Southern accents, even we might not sound like we have them. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. There's sometimes it just felt like he wasn't even talking like Southern. I don't know. Uh-huh. Did you catch that at all? Or was it totally clean for you? I don't know. I didn't notice it too much. He's also from Texas, which I feel like is a slightly different Southern yeah, accent. Yeah, that is true. But um, I, I think he... That Texas straw is different. Yeah. I mean, out of the two, out of um, you know Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal, Dude, I, th- I mean, Ledger kills it. I forgot how much like I miss Heath Ledger, yeah. how good he is at acting. He is so good. <laughs> He just completely embodies the character. Like, he completely. like Jake Gyllenhaal is known as one of the best actors right now, and mm-hmm. like he totally kills him in this performance. Yeah, like Heath Ledger I mean, was above everybody else. Oh yeah, Miles Gyllenhaal was was very good, very good in this yeah. movie without a doubt. But like, you go and watch an interview with Heath Ledger, and then you're like, is that the same person? I know, right? Playing it's crazy. that character, like he is a completely 
different person just like the mannerisms the way he talks everything is it's incredible it's an incredible yeah. performance it really is and there's nothing like it i've never seen another performance like that another mm-hmm. character like that ever i don't it, think it's just like man i forgot how good this dude was mm-hmm. and it, i really rest in peace Heath Ledger. yeah man i wish we could have seen you in more movies mm-hmm. and and annie prue was like equally impressed with him and she goes you know she come like I believe it was like signed copies of her short story or something. Mm-hmm. She wrote like a letter to each of them, and oh, you know nice. she she wrote one to Jake and she wrote the other one to Ennis without even thinking about. Oh it wow, that's crazy! In her mind, like Heath Ledger yeah. was Ennis. So if the author does that, that's mm. really good. Yeah, yeah. So um, like like we were just talking about um, the beginning of the film, kind of when they're on the mountain, the rivers, the countryside, the mountains. That's probably my favorite part of the movie, I think. And I could watch that, just that beginning, probably thirty minutes or so. The like, sheep, yeah. part, yeah, I just love the that. time. It's just incredibly beautiful. Like if it's ever like a rainy, gloomy day outside, like that's just what I want to throw on. Is that first thirty minutes? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see you. Uh yeah, I mean I just love the outdoors, so it just looks so beautiful out there, and I I just like never seen anything like that in person, and mm-hmm. it was just I was like, damn, I want to go to Wyoming, but yeah. it was Alberta. They probably looked the same though, probably close yeah. enough, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's what I think I I love about it too is it just captures the environment. Mm-hmm. So so they so got beautiful. nominated for cinematography. Uh yes, I believe so. Let me double check these nominations because that's like a point where. Yeah. They do have, like, some cool shots, but it's basically the landscape doing the work for you. Mm -hmm. But it's not easy to get cameras up those mountains and Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff, you see all these people with, like, ATVs, and then they have, like, ropes and stuff trying to, like, climb down the hillsides. So good for them. Yeah. Yeah, because that's something I thought, too. The cinematography is is definitely good. There's nothing wrong with it, but... I wouldn't, yeah, but like like you said, there's not really anything that sets it super apart aside from just the environments that they captured. Mm-hmm. Which um, they captured it beautifully, so. Yeah, and the cinematography was actually done by Rodrigo Prieto, who did um, Silence, The Irishman, Wolf of Wall Street. Holy shit. Yeah, and most importantly, We Bought a Zoo. Oh, no, <laughs> no. Uh, no. I think that's his best work, personally. Yeah, but, well, uh, <laughs> all those movies have great cinematography, so. Mm. Yeah, they do. They really do. So I I didn't realize that this guy had done so much work with Scorsese until I looked and I was like, oh. And if you know anything about Scorsese, he bosses people around, so. Yeah, (laughs) he does. (laughs) That he does. The beautiful, you know, countryside and mountains and stuff that we see is really contrasted with like the rural economically depressed areas that they have in this as well. That's something that Ang Lee really kind of captured was how dirty it is. And Mm -hmm. um, they wanted to avoid like the quaint Western town and instead kind of really go into how, you know, run down and, and economically depressed these areas were in contrast yeah. to the freedom of It reminded lines. me of some towns in South Carolina where it's like one block and it's just everything's got forgotten about and mm-hmm. they stopped updating it like after the 1950s because infrastructure stuff. But yeah. yeah, it was definitely, they definitely did a good job on that because there's really no quaint small towns Mm-hmm. like that it's usually just run down stuff yeah <laughs> i mean they get their like apartment above the laundromat mm-hmm. and stuff yeah. and like that rusty old swing set outside yeah it's... she was like i want to live in town and i'm like i, I wouldn't want to live there <laughs> well also it's like it was so important i think for the characters to be in this kind of area because this story wouldn't happen 
elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And well, a lot of it, of course, that they couldn't be together is because of like the homophobia that exists around them. But also a lot of it is like Ennis can't get away from work. He's this, you know, poor working man trying to pay child support and make a living. And they're just going from job to mm-hmm. job to job trying to just make enough money to get to like the, the next job. Yeah. And he doesn't really break that until... He only breaks not going to work like twice in the whole movie. The mm-hmm. wedding and like maybe the first trip they went on, mm-hmm. I think, was like the only time. Another one of my favorite parts of this movie, without a doubt, is the score. I think score, the, the score, score is, is good. beautiful in this film from Gustavo, but it's so good. And I love how he uses kind of silence in his score instead mm-hmm. of just the music. There's like a you'll, lot. Yeah, like you'll have like, you know, they'll play like a chord or two and then there'll be like a long pause where you kind of just like sit and wait for like the next one and i feel like we've said this a lot in this podcast like we just said like silence works a lot in movies and people Mm -hmm. don't use it enough um so yeah i I really liked it there's a lot of times where they could have used some good old country tracks but they (laughs) they did it a couple times Uh i was like you should just blast this shit throughout the whole movie but that's just me Uh well they had a lot of yeah they had a lot of scenes and Mm -hmm. like and like bars and stuff like that where there's like, like King music of the that Road they for it. They did a little bit, so that I mean the music I think is really what just adds to the emotion of it, especially mm-hmm. in the the final scene where yeah. you know it's after his daughter leaves and he you know he opens up his closet and he switched he switched the shirts around. <laughs> <laughs> so his shirt was holding was holding Jack's shirt and <laughs> you know, you just have that music and he gets all teary eyed <laughs> and oh it's too much too much <laughs> well what do you think of that last line he says jack i swear like how did you interpret that that's a hard question man <laughs> i never really thought about it what uh-huh. do you think i guess kind of the way that i saw it is it was kind of his way of because this was right after his daughter left and he almost turned down her well he did turn down going to her wedding because of work and then he just yeah. kind of changed his mind is like you know what i can find another job like my daughter's getting married mm-hmm. and so i think that line jack i swear was him promising jack to kind of just finally take time for his family and the ones that he loves instead of always pushing them to the side and not letting himself okay. be happy because jack was always pushing for like you know what like screw it just be happy like do what you want to do mm-hmm. and um so i think this was him promising jack to finally try and do better by the people that love him and that he loves so the ashes aren't going to be spread on brokeback because of the father wants them to be buried at their plot yeah okay yeah which is another of course. yeah i did not get that i swear to that but that's mm-hmm. a good view i don't really have an opinion on it maybe to be himself or i don't know yeah <laughs> i think so I yeah think so um but the the reception of this movie um everyone who had well everyone before the movie really got made um who had doubt doubts about the script because it was just going around Hollywood. It's like, oh, that's the script about the the two gay cowboys. Mm-hmm. And so people, you know, often had doubts about it. And then whenever they finally read the script, like they were like, wow, this is actually really, really good. That kind of happened with like audiences as well. Like they weren't really expecting people to, you know, they're expecting like a, the, you know, the core film crowd to come out and watch it, but not really like the casual moviegoer. But um, they were pleasantly surprised because of it was just it was really successful. People came, they saw it, they loved it. I mean, the amount of awards attention it received at the Oscars and stuff was crazy. They were, you know, a little bit worried about these, 
you know, groups, um, especially Christian organizations, like denouncing the movie for having two gay characters. And but they were pleased that, you know, they couldn't really say anything because if it was a small release, then they could have just totally pushed it under the rug. But it was so big that it just couldn't be ignored. And mm-hmm. so these kind of groups hating on, on the film really didn't have much of a voice because the film yeah. had a louder one. Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, the box office numbers is crazy for a $14 million movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, the author herself, Annie Prue, loved the film, and she said it made her admit what was very hard for authors to admit, which was that in our time, film can be more powerful than the written word. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a big thing to... <laughs> Wow, that's a big thing for an author to say that. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's not the like truth, but mm-hmm. yeah. I could see, though. Yeah, film does draw a lot of emotion nowadays. So try and lighten it a little bit. This is a heavy episode. I know, it is a heavy episode. I, I think I might have been a little out of my, <laughs> out of my no, league. No, it's good. It's good. I mean, like, just seeing where the creator's mindsets were from the writer and the writers of the screenplay, too, and the director from all seeing their mindset of how this movie was going and how this script took eight, what is it, eight, seven years to make or something like that? Yeah. Which is absolutely crazy. And just seeing how, like, its voice was louder than these organizations in 2005 where you had a, a president that didn't want to make marriage legal for them. So mm-hmm. it's re- it's really impressive. It yeah. is a heavy topic, especially for uh, two people that really are, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Don't have what it takes to talk about it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't <laughs> state that. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, I just, the reason I think I wanted to talk about it is, well, cause I really do love it. Like I think it's such an amazing movie and it really struck a chord with me, but also it really is just a movie that beat the odds. Like yeah. it shouldn't be a movie that exists. I mean, you know, they're even worried about when the, you know, the screenplay was so, true to the short story but then you know they were worried that when it finally got made they were gonna you know heteronormalize it and and stuff like that but you know that didn't happen the the mm-hmm. film stayed true to it and the film spoke yeah to that's a lot also of people impressive people saw it. it was like literature and the film staying true to it and both of them working mm-hmm. uh, equally successful which is like never happens yeah so Letterbox reviews. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one. I only got one letterbox review. One? And, I uh, man, I read these. You there's some yeah, good ones in there. There is some good ones, but I want <laughs> I wanted to try to find some like lighter ones and stuff for Oh, there's it, some lighter ones. Let me This see. one was <laughs> This is my favorite one. This is from Kate. It says Imagine being gay and all you have to eat is beans. <laughs> Yeah, I knew you were going to read that one. Uh-huh. That is funny. I mean, people, like, it's a meme now that people just hate on beans. Mm-hmm. Do you hate beans? I never really, like, ate beans growing up. Okay. I still don't order them on my burrito. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, like, I mean, I don't either. Uh-huh. Do you, so you don't eat any beans? No, beans? I, I, I'll, I'll eat beans. Like, when I when I cook at home and stuff, I'll have beans sometimes. Yeah, but don't you, like, you eat something weird, don't you? <laughs> like, hot dogs and... What, what is it? Hot dogs oh, and eggs? Oh, scrambled eggs and hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> that was my dad's go-to breakfast when it, when he was cooking. <laughs> oh, this one. Two bros chilling by a campfire. Well, let me do it in the voice. Oh, yeah. I saw uh, <laughs> two bros chilling by a campfire five feet apart because they're not. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's some good ones in here. You missed some. That was a good one. That was. Good I one. wish I knew how to quit constantly rewatching this masterpiece. 
I mean, this was my <laughs> second time watching it. So. I think this was like my third or fourth. Third or fourth. Yeah. Look, so like, I mean, love story. I, I sound like such a like white straight guy. Love stories aren't my tea. You know, I like <laughs> killing, murder, blood. Um, <laughs> but it is true. I'm just I don't get emotional in love stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Notebook didn't give get me. I actually thought the Notebook was bad, which I think a lot of people also kind of think that. Yeah, I think I remember thinking it was like fine the titanic's okay i love the score but mm-hmm. that's about it um so like broke back mountains better than those though mm-hmm. which i appreciate um but yeah it's just love stories for me i like when friends you know get together <laughs> uh-huh. but they're also really good <laughs> friends too so yeah yeah it is i think this is a movie that i'll definitely continue to return to mm-hmm. um yeah definitely yeah like, like i said for me this is a movie where if it's like if it's raining outside, it's kind of gloomy. I'm just like by myself and like getting comfortable and stuff. This is like a movie that I'll put on. I, I think that that's the right, what about the the, right will move you, for will it. Will you read the short story, curl up with a good book? <laughs> See, uh, probably not because I think I would rather just watch the movie. Yeah. Than the short story. I might I might actually read through the screenplay though um, just because I really want to get more into doing that. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, reading screenplays, man. Mm. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you. what you should do, though, is you read them while you watch it. Uh-huh. Like, seriously. I'm yeah. not joking with you. No, I You I should do you. it. There's a... Damn, there's a program on... I forgot what the program's called. You can look it up, but, like, you can plug it into, like, your Google Chrome or whatever the hell it is, and mm-hmm. then while you're watching, you know, a streaming service on your laptop, it'll have the screenplay, and it'll, okay. like, match up with it. Oh, cool! I've seen I think like, that's YouTube a true videos thing. like that. Oh, like screenplayed the yeah. channel thing. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I like them. Follow them okay. on Instagram. Shout out to them. Also, <laughs> shout out to our Instagram. We minored in film. Do you have fun fact hour? Yes, yeah, so of course I have fun. Okay, fact okay, hour. okay. We only had one letterbox review. <laughs> that's fair. All right, so um, one thing that I really I did not know this at all was that Heath Ledger and Michelle Williams they met on the set, but they also fell in love on the set. They were together for three years, and they had a daughter. And Jake Gyllenhaal is the godfather of their daughter. So I had no clue about that. Who? Who'd you say? Heath Ledger and Michelle Williams. Oh, yeah, yeah. Alma. Yeah. I thought I, you I said... I um, thought you said Anna Ferris for a second. I was like, no, that's not true. No, it's Michelle. Yeah. Okay, uh-huh. yeah. Um, and Heath Ledger declined to go to the one-month cowboy camp that had been organized as he had grown up on farms in Western Australia, so he was really familiar with everything already. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jake Gyllenhaal was required to attend because he needed some roughing up. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Jake Gyllenhaal from? Uh, you know, I actually don't know. Like New York or something? I don't, I don't know. I get, you I get L.A. Going. vibes from him. I don't know. <laughs> L.A. vibes? I feel like he's part of, like, a, like a family because isn't, like, his... Uh, you know his godfather or something like that like that cinematographer that we talk about a lot like robert elswit or something i just know he did nightcrawler i don't know if they're yeah. related <laughs> i think that was one of our fun facts <laughs> it was it i don't know, I don't know. you did like that, that episode yeah. i robert elswit did um cinematography for god there will be blood right mm-hmm. yeah yeah so another Fun fact is that Heath Ledger nearly broke Jake Gyllenhaal's nose when they were filming a kissing scene because he went, like, so hard. Yeah. I imagine it was the one outside of his house when Alma saw. They did go hard on that Mm -hmm. one. And uh, (laughs) apparently Michelle Williams was, like, on set for a lot of, like, the... Their, their kissing scenes and stuff, and she was always like, do it better, do more. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Uh Uh-huh. And um, 
Afraid that Anne Hathaway's previous films, The Princess Diaries and Ella Enchanted, would work against her during auditions, the casting director introduced Anne to Ang Lee as a New York City Broadway actress, and uh, he hadn't seen any. Oh no! <laughs> and Ang Lee hadn't seen any of Anne's or Michelle Williams' previous works before they auditioned, so he he cast them in the film. I mean, Anne Hathaway is like a superstar. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. And there was a there was an audible gasp. And so was Michelle. Yeah, <laughs> there was an audible gasp at the Academy Awards when Jack Nicholson read out "Crash" as the best uh, picture over "Brokeback Mountain," which was much more favored. They this like Oscars be they be tripping so many times and mm-hmm. like just even that like what why that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and also like how can you read the wrong movie too? <laughs> I but, know for real. Yeah. <laughs> And um, Heath led the last one. Uh, Heath Ledger refused to present at the Oscars because he was adamant about taking Brokeback Mountain seriously and not making jokes about it. Because a lot of times with the presenters, you know, they're always like making jokes and stuff that people write oh, for them. Oh, okay. And he just didn't want to take any part in like making jokes about the movie. Okay. Which I respect. Yeah, I respect I that do. too. So yeah, that was Brokeback Jake Mountain. Jake Hall's from uh, <laughs> Los Angeles, by the way. I knew you it. were right. I was right. Yeah, he must be like. <laughs> Yeah, his he's son of a director and a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Like his mom's a screenwriter or something like that too. Yeah. So yeah, he's an LA family. I knew it. Privilege. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, he's great. Uh, he is. He is. Yeah, that was Brokeback Mountain. Um, Jacob took on a big task. I think he did <laughs> well, well, though. Thank you. That was intimidating. That the, was, yeah. That was a lot, but I am very passionate about the movie. I hope that. Yeah. You, you if guys you haven't like checked it. it out, go watch it. It's probably one of the uh, better love story movies out there. Uh, especially there's like a lot of love stories that came out from the mid two thousands. Um, like there's not really any love stories that come out anymore. Yeah. Not a lot. Like it's like the lady of portrait, the lady of on fire. What's that movie called? Portrait of a lady on fire. Is that a love story? I haven't seen it, but I think so. Okay. Yeah. There's like no love stories anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Unless we're just not watching. Unless we're not watching. Yeah. Shoot. Kill. Yeah. That's basically (laughs) John Wick. (laughs) Or for me, it's like put that man's hand in a toaster. (laughs) Or something like that. <laughs> you know, the lobster is kind of a love story, though. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Okay, anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's on Netflix, uh, like Jacob said. But, yeah. Uh, shout out to Calista Schultz for Social Media Manager. Uh, follow us, like I said, at We Minored in Film. Uh, minored in Film on Twitter. Minored in Film on Letterboxd. Shout out to Annabella Ortiz for our graphic. And I am Logan Elrod. I'm Jacob Weiss. And we minored in film.